0: You are listening to Primary Care Perspectives, a podcast where pediatric experts from Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and other guests discuss primary care issues that are on their minds and the hot topics that all pediatricians see affecting their daily practice. This podcast is for general informational and educational purposes only and is not to be considered as medical advice for any particular patient. Clinicians must rely on their own informed clinical judgment in making recommendations to their patients. Hi, I'm Dr. Katie Lockwood, a primary care pediatrician at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. And today I'm talking about vaccine hesitancy. Joining me is Dr. Angela Shen, who's a visiting scientist in the Vaccine Education Center at CHOP, an adjunct associate professor at the Perlman School of Medicine, and senior fellow of the Leonard Davis Institute at the University of Pennsylvania, as well as a retired captain in the U.S. Public Health Service. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Shen. Thanks for having me here today. I'm very tickled to be joining you. (laughs) Well, we're going to be talking about vaccine hesitancy, which is defined as a delay in acceptance or refusal of a vaccine despite availability of vaccine services. And this is really a wide-spectrum type of category, because you can have parents who might be hesitant about one vaccine in particular, or all vaccines, or somewhere in between. And I know what this looks like in my clinical practice, but I was hoping you could tell us a little bit more about the way that hesitancy presents in our patients from the data. You are spot
1: on, Dr. Lockwood. Feelings parents, and adults for that matter, have about vaccines are quite vaccine-specific. Some may not blink twice about getting their child a polio or tetanus shot and at the same time be really adamant about not getting their child an HPV shot with feelings about other vaccines in between. So their behavior can really range from accepting all vaccines to rejecting all. And there are groups of folks in between. They could accept some and delay or refuse some. They can accept vaccines but be unsure or they could refuse vaccines and also be unsure. Most people, in general, are immunization and health advocates. There's only a small proportion of the population in the worried category or the fence-sitters category. And some folks also go along to get along. I think my point I'm trying to get at is there's this movable middle that's important to think about. Because like parents in other categories, they tend to very much value the opinion of the primary care provider, including their pediatrician.
0: Right. And they're the group where they are seeking information more. You know, the other categories that you mentioned, people have sort of already made up their minds. But this group is often looking for information and really a place where we can make an impact. For sure. I think the other groups also look for information, but it's a matter of
1: kind of being able to move the needle. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the information corroborates what they already know or their existing belief or attitude. The folks in the middle are unsure for different reasons. And it's really important to kind of get at what those reasons are and to listen to your patients.
0: Mm -hmm. So what do we know about the prevalence of vaccine hesitancy in this group? How common or uncommon is this issue? And is it growing? It seems like maybe it is, but I want to know if that's true. Hesitancy is definitely not a new issue.
1: It's escalated over the years, both in scope and in size. And people's concerns are also very much amplified by social media platforms.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So what are people worried about? Well, in particular, they're worried about new or newer vaccines. And we definitely saw this in COVID. It's also tricky because people look to the Internet for answers. And there's a lot of answers on the Internet, but not all of it is right. And having contradictory information floating around just compounds the problem. So people go to their trusted sources to adjudicate information. In a study I led last year at CHOP on attitudes and beliefs about routine vaccines, including COVID, people told us they were really overwhelmed by the volume of information they needed to sift through for answers to their questions. Mm. They sought the advice of their trusted sources, which the pediatrician is one of them. And what they told us is that, you know, they looked to their pediatrician to help them referee all this information that they were finding and to help them make sense of it all for their particular, you know, medical context. This was particularly true for adults who have varying complex conditions and comorbidities, and particularly true for children or parents and families of children with unique situations. There's also other reasons for hesitancy that extend beyond a person's knowledge about vaccines or their perceived risks of disease or benefits. There are group factors like social norms or the strength of your provider recommendation, Mm -hmm. and contextual factors like we've seen a lot in in society, like political polarization or social and historical influences. Mm-hmm.
0: And we know that some disparities exist in vaccination rates and hesitancy in certain racial and ethnic groups. I want to remind listeners that last year in episode 131, Dr. Natasha Easter talked to us about approaching vaccine hesitancy with Black families. So I encourage listeners to just go back to that episode for a fantastic conversation on that topic particularly. That's a great comment. I did listen to the podcast and she did a great job. We learned a
1: lot about narrowing that gap in particular amongst certain racial and ethnic groups. And it's not just about a trusted message, but how a message is delivered and by whom. Mm-hmm. Who are trusted messengers in these communities that have low vaccination rates, which are often vulnerable communities?
0: Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned the COVID pandemic, so what are some of the lessons that we learned during the pandemic about vaccine hesitancy?
1: We learned a lot from the pandemic response. We learned that we have to make it easy and bring vaccines to the people. COVID-19 was essentially an adult vaccination program, and it was also an unprecedented feat to get so many people vaccinated, not just in the US, but globally and in record time. While we didn't hit our national or global targets, it was still a historic undertaking, What made it really successful were a couple of things. And one key thing was local efforts, outreach into local communities, using very tailored strategies, particularly for communities of color, which are often the areas of greatest need. So for example, public health used data to optimize where mobile vaccination clinics should go and local patterns and data about those who are under or unvaccinated. Mm. This was a really key strategy. It was a successful one. They also had trusted messengers, like stewards of the community, church leaders, community-based organizations that have been embedded in neighborhoods for years and even decades. And I think the key thing that we learned in the pandemic is that public health is not just local, it's very Mm hyper-local.
0: You've touched on this already, but trust and confidence in vaccines and vaccine delivery is important. But how do we as healthcare providers help build that trust?
1: Listening to patients is key. Hearing their concerns and getting at the root of their hesitancy. For decades, a strategy was to provide vaccine data, assuming that this would fill a gap and parents would go, oh, let's vaccinate now. Mm-hmm. Providers should share evidence, the evidence base and present a strong recommendation. And sometimes this is enough and sometimes it's not. Oftentimes, hesitant families have other concerns. Maybe they've had a bad experience with healthcare system or a particular provider that's influenced their views or their attitudes. So listening empathetically to parents and patients and addressing their specific concerns can go a really long way. Mm
0: -hmm. I agree. It's really important that we listen to our particular patient's concerns and address them at an individual level like that. Another driver of vaccine hesitancy, though, is complacency. And I have hesitant parents tell me often that they don't think a vaccine is needed for a particular disease. This comes up with HPV, for example, where most parents say, well, not my kid. And I'm wondering, what are some of the strategies that we should use to overcome this type of hesitancy? Great question. I get this often
1: as well. I recommend, as you said, providers listen to parents to get at the root of their concerns and tailor their conversation to their specific patient's context. Their child may have a complex medical condition, like we talked about before, or maybe be new to CHOP system or to a new provider. And sometimes it's about the awareness of the disease risk since a lot of vaccine preventable diseases aren't visible to the public anymore mm-hmm. you know vaccinations done a, a wicked good job of dramatically reducing the prevalence of diseases like polio and measles and we're essentially suffering from the product of our own success other times parents have a question my husband is an immunologist and this is a relatively appropriate story. We got a letter from our insurance company years ago when our oldest daughter was on the cusp of turning age nine. He came downstairs and he was totally frazzled. So I thought we lost our insurance coverage or something really big, really traumatic. Well, it was traumatic for him to think about vaccinating his little girl for HPV. He handed me this letter from our insurance company. He said, I I, I, I can't do this. You do this. I'll take care of the other shots, but I can't do this. And of course, we vaccinated her probably around age 10 or 11. I don't remember. But it was really off-putting to him, like many families, I'm sure, to think about HPV at age 9 for their Mm -hmm. daughter or their son, for that matter.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that it is helpful to frame for families what we as clinicians know about these diseases. Because as you said, it might not be something that they're thinking about or that they think isn't really a threat for their child, isn't around maybe anymore. Maybe they haven't seen that disease. I recently wrote an opinion piece in the Philadelphia Inquirer about vaccinations, and I talk about chickenpox as an example of that because many of the parents of my patients grew up in a time when they weren't able to be vaccinated and may have had the disease themselves and thought it wasn't that bad. And so they think, well, why is this vaccine necessary and why would I need to vaccinate my kid for something that's not really a threat and, you know, I went through it and it was fine. And I always try to give them the perspective that while well, That was your story, that there are many other children who do have more severe complications of the disease, and that there are many reasons why we vaccinate for conditions like chickenpox and the benefits of that. Because sometimes when you have distance from a disease, you kind of forget a little bit about why a vaccine might be helpful for that and why those vaccines are so important. That's really great to broadly
1: share those experiences with parents and adults and kind of remind them how things were, as my kids would have said back in the day.
0: (laughs) That's funny. Well, how much of the solution to increasing vaccine uptake is about provider level interventions versus community or systems level changes? Providers are instrumental in the vaccine conversation.
1: The provider recommendation is a key predictor of vaccination as an outcome. So talking to your patients and bringing up the conversation is really important. My research group at the Vaccine Education Center at CHOP took a look at 10 years of electronic health record EHR data from CHOP patients, and we found that for patients who refuse vaccination, repeated offerings were really central to increasing their acceptance. Mm. I think this is because there were more chances to talk about their specific concern. It also gives parents time to think about their decisions. We found a number of other interesting things in our data set that parents who were flat-out refusing vaccines Removed or relinquished this refusal around age four and a half. The average duration of their refusal was a bit over two years. And we found some parents who refuse vaccines, but they got their child vaccinated anyway. And we found more refusals in suburban practices, those privately insured and older patients, mainly adolescents, you know, driven by HPV vaccine. Mm-hmm. My point is that while a trigger in the EHR is a great structural reminder to providers to talk about vaccines. The key influence on parents and families are trusted sources within their circles, and pediatricians and their family docs are smack dab in the center of that circle. People Mm. trust you. People say to me, this is your field, and I trust what you say. This is the same way I trust the advice of my trusted electrician for the wiring of my house.
0: (laughs) That's good to hear that. Families do see us as a trusted source of information. And you mentioned the importance of having these conversations. So how do you recommend that we talk about vaccines with patients and their families? Is there a recommended framework? For
1: hesitant parents, the goal is not necessarily the traditional approach of persuasion, but to make an effort to gain an understanding of their perspective. So a good conversation starts with empathy, which builds trust and enables you to address vaccine questions and concerns. One framework that some providers have found useful is what my colleagues at Penn and I call ASPIRE. A is to assume people wanna get vaccinated and be prepared for questions, the presumptive recommendation, if you will. S is to share facts, key facts and sources of information. P is to present a strong provider recommendation and maybe stories about vaccination experiences. I is to initiate a discussion about safety and efficacy of the vaccine. R is to respond and actively listen. And E is to empathize and understand concerns. So in another study we at CHOP, at the VEC, found that adults, when they were considering their own vaccination, letting them know that the vaccination benefits others' herd immunity had a real positive effect on their intent. Mm -hmm. It was really helpful for adults to know that to talk about herd immunity and protecting others. Even though they were worried about getting sick, they turned to societal benefits and not wanting to spread the disease to loved ones. With parents deciding about their child's vaccination, they were usually laser focused on the direct benefits for their child rather than the indirect benefits to others.
0: Mm, Interesting. Yeah, it's different how parents make decisions sometimes than how they make decisions for themselves versus their child. For sure. So what other resources can you recommend to providers who want to learn more about this topic? CHOP
1: Vaccine Education Center, of course, is a great one. Mm -hmm. CDC and FDA are always standard go-tos for me. Over a decade ago, when I was still with the federal government, my office created Vaccines.gov as a parent-friendly site to get parents' questions answered. Mm -hmm. There was nothing like this site back in the day, as my children would say. Mm -hmm. This is also where Vaccine Finder is housed, so you can put in your zip code and find out exactly where you can go to get vaccinated and for which Mm -hmm. vaccines, if you're having any trouble. I also like to point people to Vaccinate Your Family, a great nonprofit, They have a really cool tool that helps families with different insurance status figure out where they can get vaccinated at no cost.
0: Mm, Great. Those are great resources. And, of course, the Vaccine Education Center is always one of my favorites. So many good resources there, including videos and all different types of media that are helpful both for providers and also for families. So we covered a lot today, and this is, you know, really a hot topic because, as you mentioned, it is so common. It's something that primary care pediatricians face routinely. So what are your top takeaways for
1: us? Providers are a top trusted source of information to their patients. The years you've spent building this relationship is really critical to an effective conversation. I've talked to patients who are taking their children to the pediatrician they went to as a child. So my takeaway to you is to listen to your patients and what they're saying, because one size does not fit all. Tailor your recommendation. There's a good chunk of people who rest between accept all and no way never. Mm -hmm. These parents and families are in the wait or get more information and the still consider but worried states of mind. Your patients value you and your advice. How you frame the conversation can make a big difference. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Shen, and for all of your work uh, with your team at the Vaccine Education Center. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of Primary Care Perspectives. You can download and subscribe to future episodes on iTunes or visit chop.edu slash PCP podcast for a listing of all episodes. I look forward to our next chat.